0: Oh man, it's uh, good to see some uh, new faces this morning and some uh, faces hadn't seen in a while. But again, thank you guys. Uh, thank you for taking time out to come. I know you have a lot of things you could choose, honestly, on Sunday mornings, let's be honest. But I'm so thankful uh, that you came just to, just to be a part of just fellowshipping and, and worshiping this morning. If you haven't been with us or maybe mes- missed last week or uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, I want to share something. We are now offering our sermons online, a sermon podcast. Uh, so maybe you miss a week or maybe you're in you know Mexico on the beach one week this summer and you say, hey, I want to catch up with what's going on. Uh, if you'll go to our website, it's onechurchelkcity.com. Uh, if you go there, we uh, will be having that available uh, for you uh, just for the time to come. Uh, we've got a couple of months on there already. So if that's of any interest to you at all, it is now available uh, there for you. But uh, uh, again, we've been looking at the book of Acts. We've entitled it The Impact of... Uh, the church on the move, and, and in Acts chapter 1, we really looked at, you know, uh, why should we allow the Holy Spirit, How, why should we allow God to, to rule in our lives? Why should we allow the Spirit of God to, to reign in our lives? And we offered some, some biblical things there of why we should give God our, our lives as a blank slate, why we should allow God to, to come into our church and, and really have His way. During this time, the Book of Acts—if you don't know much about it—it's really the—it's—it is the start of the early church. It's when Jesus—he—he he died, he went to the cross, and he—he he had risen from the dead, and he—he he was on earth for uh, for a short time, and he—and he revealed himself to hundreds of people. And at uh, at this point in time, uh, God centrally located—he—he he, he was located in the temple. So if you wanted to meet with God, you needed to go to the temple where the presence of God was. And now Jesus, as He came and as He he died and He had risen, and He said, I am going to a place where I am preparing a place for you, and I promise that I will come back for you, but at this moment I want you to wait. I want you to wait for something. I want you to, to want you to wait for someone. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, it has the day of Pentecost when the, the Holy Spirit comes and does amazing, wonderful things. And it says literally in, in Acts chapter 2, 43, that all the people were in awe. I mean, they they were in awe of what the Holy Spirit was doing in and through the start of the early. Church. Now, they didn't have any manuals. Now, church has been around for, gosh, almost 2,000 years now, and sometimes we can kind of look at, you know, this is how you do things, or maybe this works, uh, this doesn't work. Uh, one church is now about five and a half years old, and I can promise you, when we first started off, all right, we just knew without a shadow of a doubt that God has, has called us to start a church and there wasn't many of us that had ever started a church before or, or been a part of that. So we, we kind of blindly said, all right, God, we want you to have your way in us. We want you to guide us and we want you to, to direct us. Because I've got to be honest, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that God's calling on my life was so strong. Anybody been there before? Like, God, I, I know you're calling me to do this, but I, Lord, if you don't help in this situation, we're going to fall flat on our face. And as God gave us visions and dreams, and as we walk those out, we're now about five and a half years old, and I think it's always good to to look at things, to do an evaluation, a self-evaluation, a church evaluation, and ask some tough questions. Are we where God wants us to be? And if we're not, are we willing to, we asked the question last week, are we willing to adjust our lives... Are we willing to adjust our programs? Are we willing to adjust whatever it is that God might be asking us to change or to move or or to push forward or to stop or whatever it is? Are we willing to fashion that around the Word of God? And this past week we looked at, you know, what does it look like for a Spirit-filled church? What is it internally that you and I can do? And we looked at Acts chapter 2 verse 42 last week, and it talks about... Devotion. It talks about devoting ourselves to biblical teaching. It talks about devoting ourselves to the Word of God. It goes on and it says, also devoting ourselves to the fellowship of other believers. It talks about actually eating together, which I'm like, hey, yes, I can do that. All right. Who's coming to my house at lunch? Or just bring the food? Okay. And it also talks about devoting ourselves to prayer. What should the church be devoted to? First and foremost, to God's Word, to the teachings of God's Word, and allowing us to fashion every single choice that we make on the obedience of God's Word. It also says that we should devote ourselves to each other. Now granted, I understand that is difficult, especially this day and age. And when we have so many things that we are involved in, it really is difficult to carve out. Anybody else struggle with that? Carve out time to fellowship with other Christ-like people that we can encourage and we can challenge, we can build each other up, we can disciple. And then it talks about just getting together and eat, all right? I mean, come on, I'm all for that, all right? And then also talks about devoting ourselves to prayer, just communication with the Father, taking time out of our busy days and 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 being very diligent and being very much in tune to what God is doing in and through our lives. And in Acts two forty three, Luke describes the church saying that everyone was in awe, but the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, he doesn't describe really what kind of, uh, as far as, uh, I'm sorry, any kind of signs or wonders it is, but in Acts chapter 3, uh, we're going to be seeing one specific instance. And I, and I believe that that Luke wrote this one specific instance for two, kind of for two reasons, because... This instance, as we will see in Acts chapter 3, where there's, it's, it's the healing of the lame man. He was sitting by the, the gate called Beautiful, kind of the entrance to the temple there. And as he was sitting there, and as Peter and John come to him and ask him a question, they say, I don't, I don't have that, but I will give you something that I do have. And as, as Jesus heals this man in an instant, as there is life change in an instant, all right, not only did his life change, but it opened up the door for Peter to give the second sermon in which many lives were changed. Not only did it open the door for the gospel message to be preached, it also aroused the enemy. Because this was the time in Acts chapter 3 where persecution started to break out in the early church. Now we don't really have an understanding of what persecution looks like particularly in the American church but maybe one day we will. But what happens here in Acts chapter 7 if you skip forward, you start seeing where Stephen is the first martyr for the faith, for his faith in Jesus Christ. So what happened was is it opened the door for the gospel. It also aroused the enemy. I just want to give you a disclaimer this morning. If your life and my life is all about the gospel message, we will be arousing the enemy. Did you know that? Someone once told me if Satan is not working or trying to attack you, you need to reevaluate how you're living your life. Because Satan, his primary purpose is to still kill, and destroy everything in your life. You know that marriage? Yep, that's it. You know, you know your life, your job, and all of those things. That is his primary purpose. So as they were devoted to these things, and they started to outwardly display themselves, as we will see here in just a minute, it aroused the enemy. But I, I want to I be clear, though. You and I who are in Christ Jesus should not be in fear of that. We should not be in fear of that, because it says here in John chapter 16, verse 33, that I have told you these things, so that in me you may have... Peace in this world, you will have trouble. man, you know, in this world, you will arouse the enemy in your lives. In difficult situations, will come into your life. That's just life. And then he goes on. Oh, but take heart. He's like, oh, but those who are in Christ Jesus, take heart, because I have overcome. The world, so, so our lives who are in Christ Jesus, we are protected into eternity. You and I can have peace and joy, the display of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, no matter what's taking place around us. But as Jared even shared this morning many times, that's easier said than done. Any amen to that? What about when we find out we've got cancer? Well, what, what about when, when we find out that our marriage is on the rock? What about what, what, when we find out when we have a wayward son or daughter? What happens when we find out when we lose our job? And all of these things. It's a lot more difficult to trust God in those moments. If you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 1. I'm going to put it on the screen for us. For those who don't have a Bible uh, but we're just going to read the first eight verses, and we're going to just take just a few minutes this morning and, and unpack what uh, what Scripture has to talk to us about this morning. So here we go. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every." Day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. God, move right now, Father. Lord, move me out of the way, Father. Lord, humble me. God, I pray, Lord, that your word will be one that edifies those in this room this morning. I pray, God, that it would be an encouragement. Lord, I pray that it would challenge us, but most of all, that it would make us more like you. God, allow us, Lord, to take this truth of your word and, and allow it to penetrate our hearts and our minds. And, uh, God, we just ask you to come. Lord, we ask you to come and to, uh, just to fill uh, this place, this Morning, Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. What we uh, see here as we open up Acts chapter 3 is really a tragedy. It's, it's, it's a man who uh, has been crippled since birth. Um, on in chapter 4, it actually tells us that this man was a little over 40 years old. So you can imagine uh, this guy's routine. I mean, every single day. This guy was reliant on those people around him. It says every day they would would pick him up and they would take him to to this gate called Beautiful. Now, I know that doesn't mean much to you. Basically, it was a beautiful gate, literally. Like, it was a beautiful gate. It was ornate and all of these things. And it's interesting because it says that he was on the outside. Now, during this time in this culture, he would have been forbidden to go inside the temple because of his problems, so to speak. Uh, he was somewhat of an outcast in that area, so he was not into the, the mainstream understanding of what's going on. He had a kind of a, a simple lifestyle, which isn't a bad thing, but he had the same routine every single day. People would come and they would, they would set him there, and he was basically begging for money so that he could provide for, we don't know if he has a family, at least for himself, so that he could survive. So I, wa- I want to set that scene uh, for you this morning, and... Um, I don't really have the time to kind of talk about this too much, but I want to I bring this up a little bit because uh, I know many times as, as Christ followers, I know many times just as people in general, we don't understand why God heals some people and he does others. Anybody ever struggle with that? Um, and that's a very difficult thing to really even understand and even, even to grasp, and, and, and many Christians have struggled and even doubted God's love because they couldn't understand why some are healed and others are not. And there's, there's not a complete answer to this. It's a question of why he heals some miraculously, why others recover through treatment of medicine and others don't get healed at all. You know, what's interesting because there's several times in Scripture where Jesus goes into the masses and he heals everyone. But here's what I want to understand here is is whenever Jesus does these things, these miracles that takes place, every time he feeds the 5,000, every time he raises someone from the dead, every time this takes... This is not the pinnacle of what should be the ending. I want you to understand that. And there were also times when Jesus comes into situations, like when he comes into the situations of the Pool of Bethsaida. If you know that story, it says that there were... Many, many people who were lame and deaf and blind and all of these things. And Jesus chose to heal only one. Now, there's other times in Scripture where Jesus is around these people and he chooses not to heal anyone. Now, if you can understand that, I want to know. But here's what I want you to tell you. God is sovereign. And I want you to know that God's healing in our lives, physically or whatever, his whole purpose and knowing us is the healing of our hearts. And sometimes I've even heard it said, you know, and there's this conversation in John chapter 9, because here's what I hear sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. Even within the church, we say, you know, what's, what did these people do to be in this situation? And he, I love this conversation because this is the story of Jesus and the blind man. This is his response. He says, his disciples, it says, as he was, he as he was going along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Jesus, who sin, this man, mom, or this man's dad? And I love this, that he was born blind, like, like, whose fault is this? Here's what Jesus' response, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, said Jesus. Listen to this, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. You see, God's sole purpose for us is not so much protecting us physically from ailments and these types of things. Jesus said, it will be this way because of the fall of mankind. And let's be honest, it's hard for you and I who are in Christ. Why can't I be that one that God heals? We've all struggled with this. And it's something that we have doubts over. But Jesus says, and God says, I want you to know, that I am in control, and my desire is that you would put all of your life in the trust of who I am, even when it doesn't make sense. Anybody remember when they were children? Anybody ever disagree with a mom or dad's decision? Like, no, that was, just, that was a terrible. I don't agree with that. I think it happened a couple of times yesterday at my house. You know, the kids don't agree with it. But here's like, we don't have to agree or even understand. We have to know that that decision is made out of grace and love. Just to, I just wanted to share that because I know there's some here even this morning that struggle. This is a real struggle in our lives. And my prayer is, is that, that your life and my life will reflect Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Many of you might know this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him. You hear that word all? You know what all means? All. Like everything. Submit to him, even your your misunderstanding, even your doubt, and he will make your path straight. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to move on, I promise, all right? Paul, the apostle Paul, he's struggling with life right now. and He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh to torment me. Some of you are like, I've got one of those. (laughs) Three times, listen to this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So why does God heal some and not others? I'm going to give you a real biblical answer. I have no idea. I just know that God is all-powerful. I know that all God is all-knowing. And he has your interest and my interest at heart. He desires to know us because I have seen some tragic instances where God has moved more so in the life of a community, and the life of the world, taking of someone's life, and, 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 and what happens is, is that doubt, we allow that doubt to control us in such a way we allow that fear to control us rather than submitting ourselves and saying, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you because I believe that you are in control, Amen? All right, here we go. Last week, we went from the internal. What does it look like internally as the church? This week, we're going to be going kind of more externally. What should the church look like to those around them? And the first thing I want you to see here, we're going to to move this pretty quickly, all right? The first thing is that the Spirit-filled church imparts expectant hope. Now, this word imparts means to make known, to communicate, to convey, uh, to report. Look at at verse 3 again in in Acts chapter 3. It says, When he saw Peter and John to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John, and then then Peter said, I think this is the first time this took place. You know, like, look at my eyes, all right? You look at me, look at us. so, So the man gave them his attention. I love this word. Circle this. Expecting... To get something from them, let me ask you something this morning, as Christ followers. Did you, are you expecting? Listen to I me, mean really. Were you expecting when you got out of bed that you would come and you would fellowship and we would open God? Are you were you expecting God to speak to you? Were you expecting God to move, or you just kind of got out of bed at a routine, which we do many times, and, and we come and we do these things, and, and many times we're so in tune to so many other things? Because I bet half of you right now are thinking about lunch because your stomach is growling. Anybody else? All right? And many times we are not expectant to see God move. I love this because the Spirit filled church makes known, it communicates expectant hope to those who do not have any hope in their lives. I love Peter's response here. He says, you know, uh, in verse 6, and Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. He's like, man, I'm I'm not against giving to, to you. I'm not against giving to the poor or whatever. Like, I just don't have it. He's like, man, I'm I'm kind of bankrupt. Anybody been there before? You're like, I I don't have anything else to give. Like, I wish that I could help you in this situation. I I wish I could do this or I could do that. And many times it's easier to do that, isn't it? If I could just give a few dollars and keep going. Like, I don't have time to invest in this situation. Here's a few dollars. Here's a Band-Aid, so to speak. And so Peter says, you know what? I can't give you what I don't have. And here's the thing. You are wanting money, but what you really need is healing. You see, that man wasn't even looking for healing, and many people that we do life with every day, they're not looking for their lives to be changed or healing. They're looking for something that will last a short while. We've been there before. That will sustain them for a couple of days. It might give them happiness for a few days. But what Jesus wants us to do is is to impart expectant hope and also impart healing. Listen to this. There is nothing out of my own strength that I can give anyone that will be sustaining. There, There is nothing. Nothing at all. It will always come to a point where it will be depleted. Been there, done that before. I know I've shared the story many times about my thoughts on money and how I really had this idea, if I can get enough money, I can kind of live off of this and that. And all of a sudden, God's like, you know what? I just want to teach you a lesson here. I'm going to take it all away. And it rocked my world, but it changed my life. The, spirit for, I'm sorry. the Spirit-filled church imparts expectant hope. It also imparts healing. But I love this. He says, but what I do have, I give you. I don't don't have what you're wanting, but I have what you need. You see, Peter and John are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit right then and there. There's a man by the name of Thomas Aquinas. Maybe you've heard his name. He was a 13th century theologian, very influential in the community of that time. And he was sitting down having a conversation with um, Pope Innocent II and the Pope was sitting there. He was, uh, true story, he was kind of going through, he was counting the offerings, so to speak, as they were coming in. And, and he made this remark to Thomas Aquinas. He says, you know, the church can no longer say silver or gold, I do not have. And then Thomas Aquinas, he was a very, he responded very quickly. He, and he said, but then neither can it now say arise and walk. You see, what Thomas is trying to say here is the church hasn't lost its power. The church has lost its effectiveness in utilizing the power that it already has. Does that describe your life or my life? You see, we go through and we see these people who, who are in desperate need just like this lame man. And either A, we pass them by, or B, we give them a token of a band-aid, and we keep walking, and what they really need is a life change. You see, the hard part is, is it's easier to help someone who's in desperate need. Anybody? Like when someone is at the bottom of the barrel, it's a lot easier to impart things on them. Because they're, I mean, they're in tune, like they're they're at the end of their road, but what happens to those people we live around? Man, they got a nice house, they got a couple of cars, they got a couple of dogs, cats, their kids are doing good in school. They have a good job. What what about those people who are in desperate need on the inside, but you never know it from the outside? You see, Peter and John, they were very intentional. In this conversation, they were having this man who was in need. The Spirit-filled church imparts healing. It also imparts joy. I love at the end of verse 6, <clears throat> Luke wants us to really know what took place here. It says, in the name of Jesus' walked, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong in an instant because of his encounter with God, his life was changed forever. And then joy flooded his life. In verse 8 it says, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I mean, I, I, can't, under, I can't really imagine this situation. A guy, I mean, he, the guy was on cloud nine. In that moment, it was Jesus who healed him through the power of the Holy Spirit through his church. And so I, I want you to really, I need this. I need to hear this message because I limit the power of God in my life many times. Sometimes I don't expect God to move. I'm like, well, I just get discouraged and, and I kind of have that you know, that pity party sometimes. And, and, and God's like, here's what you're missing. I want to move in and through your life. Why don't you start living like there's power living within you? Expect me to move. Expect me to do things. Expect me to change lives. Oh, it imparts joy on those around us. He was walking and jumping and... Praising God. A couple of quotes here for you. It says, by the man of Vance Havner, he says, Some dear souls think themselves dignified, speaking of the church, when really they are petrified. He says, We have lost our jump. Well, we need to get it back. Irma Bombach tells how she was sitting in church one Sunday when a small child turned around and began to smile at the people behind her. She was smiling, doing nothing else, not making a sound. When her mother noticed, she said in a whisper, Stop that grinning, you're in church. Gave her child a swat and said, That's better. Emma concluded that some people come to church looking like their deceased rich aunt left everything to her pet hamster. In his book, The Crisis in the University, Sir Walter Mobley tells the Christians, if one-tenth of what you believe is true, you ought to be ten times as excited as you are. It would not hurt if once in a while our hearts were ablaze with such joy and excitement over Christ. And it's kind of easy to talk about it many times. It's easy to preach about it. It's easy to kind of take that, but it's hard to live it out. How, how do we keep that blaze of fire, so to speak, in our hearts? I think it goes back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You see, what happens in my life many times is I'm, a, I'm an emotional person. You're like, yeah, I knew that. I'm surprised you're not crying already. Many times I, 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 my emotions are up and down and around. I should have been a woman maybe. I don't know. But um, And here, here's the thing. Sometimes I, I doubt God's moving on my emotions. You've been there before? Like I don't feel it. And God's like, you know, you're not always going to feel it. I just want you to be faithful. Yeah, I know it's pretty ugly. Just be faithful. Be an Acts 2.42 Christian. Be devoted to the Word of God. Be devoted to the fellowship of other believers. You're not supposed to do life together. Get together. Encourage one another. Act like you like each other. That's how it happens most of the time, isn't it? Spur one another on. Disciple each other. You know what? I'm going to throw in food, too. Eat together. That's what he says. Eat together. He says, man, devote yourselves to prayer. Don't forget about God. The Spirit-filled church imparts hope, healing, joy, the fourth thing, wonder. Verse 9, it says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And listen to this. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Kind of a trickling effect. You see, when God does something in our lives, we get an opportunity to be a witness of what happened in our lives to those around us, and they see, they ask, and maybe just maybe the Spirit of God is working in and through you, and their lives are changed. You see the trickling effect here? That's the purpose of the church, is that God could use us to affect lives around us. The wonder. You see, this story goes on. If you keep reading in chapter 3, which we don't have time, but I encourage you to read, Peter gets up and God gives him an opportunity to speak the good news to everyone in that entire room. And he is speaking with boldness. And it says that many lives were changed in that moment right there because they saw that this one man's life had been changed through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the obedience of Peter and John. And then the last thing. The spirit for, Spirit-filled for spirit church. I'm having a hard time with that today. The Spirit-filled church imparts a witness. You know what's interesting is, is last week, as we were looking at the, the integral parts of the church, it also ended with witness and evangelism. You know why? It's because the power of the Holy Spirit has some very good benefits for us as Christ followers. Amen? It allows us, I mean a conviction, it allows, gives us wisdom, it does all these things, the fruits of the Spirit, we could rattle through those. I mean, there are a lot of internal things the Holy Spirit is awesome working in and through our lives if those who are not in Christ don't understand and don't have that power. But it was never kept to, to, I mean, I'm sorry, it was never meant to be kept to ourselves. It was also supposed to be displayed and giving us boldness to follow the commands of Jesus to go and to be a witness And so Peter and John coming into this situation. They were compelled to do these things because of all the work they put in to be devoted to the church. And they were compelled to outwardly display the commands of Jesus as far as being a witness to those around them. And look what God did. What would it look like for your life and my life, for this church, for these small people here this morning, if we were devoted in such a way... What would change? What would change for those people around us? Would they be expectant of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask Jared to come back up. You see, those people that we live beside, those people that we do work with, the people that we play ball with, there's no difference between them and me and you and this lame man in this story. And why? Because we're both human and we both have deep needs. You see, the hard part is, as we said before, that it's easy sometimes to analyze and see a need of those who come and say, man, I'm in desperate need of this. It's hard when you have a neighbor who is in desperate need and and on the rocks of maybe a divorce or a life struggle or a job loss and all of these things, but on the outside they look whole. You know what I'm talking about? And they put that smile on, but inside they are they are hurting. And they are no different than this man who is sitting at the gates of the temple and begging. But here's the problem many times. They have a view of church, that these people. They don't care. They don't love me. They're hypocrites when I say, yeah, we are. We're sinners saved by grace. But here's the thing. They don't choose, unfortunately, to come to church. Their first thought is, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to church because there's, there's healing that can take place there. And so Jesus' command is to go, actually, as you are going. And somewhere along the line, which we've got that mentality of the old baseball movie, you know, like, build it and they will come. What happens when people stop coming? It's happening. That's why Jesus said, no, no, you've you got to get back to the Word of God. I never, I never told you to build it and they will come. I told you to go. And as you're going and doing life, I will build my church. He never says to build a building. Not that it's bad. But maybe you and I, we need to look at our lives, look at our church's life and say, God, what are you you stirring right now? What exactly are you trying to get through my thick skull? (laughs) What are you trying to do here? And I believe if, if you and me, if we will come to a point and say, God, I want to go back to week one and I want to give you just a blank slate. I want you to have my life I want you to take it. I want you to do whatever you want to with it. What would it look like? I do know this. I know God would move in a big way because we believe God is trying to withhold power and God wants to move and sweep through this place. And here's the thing. He wants to use his church. That is his number one thing that he set up was to use his church and you are the church.